everyone has some sort of a closet that has become too small. A closet is no place to live, and I want to support as many people as I can in stepping out of that prison into the fullness of life that is waiting for them on the other side of that door. This is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching. Join me in listening to these coming out chronicles. Get curious about their stories and then go see what good things are waiting for you on the other side of your closet door. I've got a special treat for you today. My old college friend, Carla, decided to drive from Regina to Calgary, that's like a seven-hour drive, to come and do this interview live with me. All my other ones so far have been on Zoom, and I told her we could do it on Zoom, but she said, no, I'm ready for a road trip, and she came. So it was super fun to do just like a kitchen recording of this interview. It's been really inspirational to watch how Carla has been a mother through all the ups and downs and twists and turns of her kid's life. And I think that you'll be inspired by it too. Carla! Nancy. It's so nice to have you here. Nancy, it's so good to be here. We were just saying when I came in the door that 18 years. <laughs> it's been I 18 years. It. <laughs> Since we were little college girls. That's right. Do, do, raising a ruckus at, on <laughs> campus. I think. You were flossing your teeth in bed. Still do. <laughs> Still do. That's my wife. She hates it too. I don't know why that is such a... That is a real lasting memory for me. <laughs> well, that started in the year 2000. I've flossed my teeth in bed pretty much every night since the year 2000 because my sister is a dental assistant and okay. she made sure that I knew how important it was to floss. And right. so then I was like, I'm not going to take the time to do it in front of the mirror, right. but I will take the time to do it while I'm reading in bed. So like hold the book with my feet, right? floss my teeth, and then I actually get it done. That's fair. You know what you have to do what you have to do. Anyways, it must have been very disturbing for me. <laughs> it's been very disturbing to many friends and roommates and partners along the way. But here we are. Here we are. 18 years later. Yeah. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. Do you want to give us a little snapshot of like who you are and what you're up to in the world? Sure, I can do that. Um, I live in Regina, Saskatchewan. I'm married. I've been married for probably 17 or 18 years now. And um, I have a son, a 14-year-old son named Memphis. I'm a registered nurse by trade, and I work in a surgical ICU in Regina. So I've been there for a decade. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that is that's maybe just like the most surface. The most surface. That's the most like, surface What version. are you doing here on the Coming Out Chronicles podcast? <laughs> I'm curious to hear about your coming out story. Um, well, I guess my coming out story is that I am the mother of a transgender child. My son, like I said, is 14 and he was 12 mm-hmm. when he came out to my husband and I. We weren't the first people that he had come out to. He'd come out to my brother-in-law before that 
And my brother-in-law was the one who was very insistent to Memphis that he needed to talk to us. Mm. Um, he just felt really close to your brother-in-law? Yeah. I have the best brother-in-law cool. in the world. My sister's husband, I should throw a shout out to Dallas Verity. Um, he's a fellow podcaster, actually. Okay. Shipwrecked over safety. Shipwreck over safety. I should correct that. Mm. Um, he's huge social justice advocate has been um, really since I've known him huge heart for marginalized people um, really very vocal against the injustices that he sees in the world but I think specifically in the evangelical church Mm. and so he has been a long time um, vocal advocate for the way that the evangelical church ostracizes and excludes the LGBTQ community. Mm. And so I think Memphis had just grown up around Dallas, heard him um, very vocally speaking out against those things. So I think Memphis knew that Dallas would be a really safe spot Mm -hmm. to come out and to throw those ideas. And of course, Dallas was really supportive and, and just encouraged Memphis that Maybe he was underestimating his parents. Maybe mm. he was being overly afraid for very little reason and that Memphis could probably come out and find support at home. And so I think it, it took Memphis a couple of days. Um, we were at Costco. <laughs> we had just gotten home from a trip. We'd gone as a family to London, England. We were home, we were getting groceries, Memphis wanted a hot dog, as kids always do. And anyways, we're sitting in this like super busy Costco food court, and there's Memphis eating this hot dog, but just like looking Hmm. so miserable and just like head hanging, so glum. And finally I just I just said, Memphis, like what what's going on? What's bugging you? And he just into this like miserable Costco hot dog says I'm trans and I'm afraid that you and dad aren't going to love me Hmm. and it was it was a minute I'm like I'm not going to lie to you and say that I was surprised Mm -hmm. Um, Memphis has always been a very I mean very set in his path and very um, sure of who he is And from the time he was, you know, before he was verbal, he was very opposed to anything that was sort of like um, socialized idea of feminine. You know, Mm. like he, by the time he was, you know, could speak, we had negotiated a contract that I wasn't going to go out and replace his whole wardrobe with boy clothes. But as he outgrew the female clothes, I would replace them Mm. with boy clothes. Um, So he'd always been a very like tomboyish you know child I hate to even use that term just like makes my skin kind of crawl now mm-hmm. um but I mean at the time that's what we called it and then in grade one at parent teacher interviews it came up that Memphis wouldn't use the bathroom at school during the designated you know before recess when the teacher would send all the kids to go to the bathroom Memphis wouldn't do that and would always wait until they were back in class and ask for a bathroom pass. And I, I asked Memphis about it. I said, why do you do that? And he said, well, because I've told all my friends at school that I'm a boy. And if I 
go to the bathroom with the other kids, then I have to go in the girls' bathroom, and then they'll know that I'm not. And again, at the time, I, you know, I was like, hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. But, like, I've no, I have yet to meet a kid in grade one who, like, doesn't have at least one, like, weird, quirky <laughs> thing. So I was like, my kid, like, kids are kids, and who's, we'll see where this goes. Um, but as Memphis continued to grow up and just more and more firmly sort of attached to a more male identity, it really didn't come as a big surprise when Memphis officially came out mm-hmm. and identified as trans and was right away very vocal about wanting to transition. So anyways, that's a very, that's a very rambly no, that's, version. We, we are all <laughs> leaning in right now, like wanting to hear this story. That's a really rambly version of what brought me here to the Coming Out Chronicles because... I guess I've just shared Memphis's coming out story for him, and I, I don't know how kosher that is, but I, but that has led me into my own coming out story, I guess, mm-hmm. being the mother of a transgender child and navigating the world in new and unexpected ways. Yeah, because there's now constantly times for you to be coming out. Yes. Like, in the same way, my kids out me all the time because yes. they're born 25 days apart. Yeah. And so people are always like, oh, twins? And I'm like, no, they're twiblings, twin siblings. My wife and I were pregnant at the same time. And it's like, thanks, kids. Right. Now, right. now you're like, thanks, kid. Now I have to come out about all these things. It is. It's a bit of a forced coming out. There's no hiding that. Yeah. yeah. But what was that like? Like, did you have a process of you talk to your sister first or someone like mm-hmm. who did you start talking about this with and then how how much have you gotten public about this um well you know actually my sister was the first person that I talked to and my sister's my best friend my sister mm-hmm. Lisa and so of course I talked to her and I knew that she would be supportive and of course she was and and she admitted she said you know Memphis talked to Dallas and and I, I knew, but um, I, I needed Memphis to talk to you before mm-hmm. I talked to you. And so I talked to Lisa first because that was safe. And Robert and I, you know, it took Robert and I a few weeks um, to really, like, wrap our minds around it and come to terms maybe where we could put forth a really unified front on on it and I, I don't want to speak too much for Robert um, but I think he had a he had a, a slightly tougher time coming mm-hmm. to terms and when I say tougher time I want I want to say that within two weeks Robert was on board 100 mm-hmm. percent and right there unified front supporting our child um it's I mean it it, there's a there's a process I think as a parent that you go through where you there's it's a grieving process where you're letting go of maybe some expectations of what you expected that your child's life was going to look like and I mean for I for every parent it'll be different what they're grieving but I think that was maybe the thing for us was just grieving maybe what we expected Memphis's life would look like. But once we had sort of collectively navigated that initial stage of grief, then we started telling our families. 
we both come from evangelical Christian families and we knew that those conversations were going to be difficult. I knew that we wouldn't necessarily, I wasn't sure what to expect. I wasn't expecting to be met with a lot of support. Um, I, I know that our, our parents love us and, and would say that they support us, but I wasn't really sure what that was going to look like mm-hmm. in actual practice um, and how they would feel about Memphis transitioning. But we just felt that it was best to be as open and upfront and honest at from the very front end. So the conversations that we had with our parents were Memphis is trans. He identifies as male. We've looked at this. We've thought about it. We've prayed about it. We've, um, we've sought some counsel on this. And the only place that we can land is that we're going to support him. And that is going to look like initially now at 12 years old social transition we will be using male pronouns those are Memphis's preferred pronouns and that's what we'll be using um we will continue I mean we will continue to allow Memphis to dress like a boy we will be speaking to teachers at school and navigating that process um and we will we'll just support Memphis through social transition there's going to come a day where hormonal transition is going to be a thing mm-hmm. and when that when that day is okay because there's you know there's re- medical restrictions around hormonal transition in children but when Memphis is an appropriate age and and our doctors feel like it's safe for Memphis to pro- proceed with horm- hormonal transition we will support that mm-hmm. and if surgery is on the table for Memphis and that's what he wants to pursue we will also support that I think those conversations were, um, I'm not great with conflict. I'm not, (laughs) it's not where I shine. I hear you. Me too. So the thought of having one conversation felt daunting. The thought of having to revisit this conversation over and over and over again felt insurmountable. And Mm. I thought to myself, if, if I'm going, if I'm going to, share this news with my parents or with Robert's parents, then they need to know the trajectory of what this is going to look like. I can't handle them with kid gloves to protect them. Mm -hmm. Like we're navigating this new path that we all feel a little bit of uncertainty about just because it, it's, it's unknown. Everything is unknown. So I can't take the time to be gentle with them. Like they need to know from the front end that we are supporting and we are supporting all the way through mm-hmm. however that looks. So that was sort of initially yeah, in those initial conversations. Then with friends, I mean, obviously I was able to share with my best friends and that was good. Um, but I, I was working in the ICU at the time and I was feeling a little bit of ICU burnout anyways. But at the time, you know what? I just took the opportunity to look for a different job mm-hmm. and I took a temporary position working in labor and birth and left for 16 months and I just gave my my close friends permission I said can you can you talk about it like can you put it out there can you use Memphis's masculine pronouns and then when people ask can you tell them Hmm. he's trans and he's transitioning like at your old job at my old job Mm -hmm. because I knew I was 
I was fairly certain I was going to be going back to that job. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have the emotional space to have that conversation over and over (laughs) and over again, right? It's one thing to have the conversation with people that you love and you know love you. It's an entirely different thing to have that conversation with people that you're just maybe in not necessarily bad relationship with, but it's a surface work Mm -hmm. level relationship, right? It's an emotion. It's, it's an conversation that takes an emotional toll, especially in those earlier days. I think I've, I've come around to where it's a lot easier now, but Mm -hmm. in those earlier days, I just needed people to know. Mm -hmm. I needed to be able to address my child, um, with masculine pronouns and not have every single person that hadn't heard it before. Mm -hmm. So dissect it (laughs) and have to know and have Mm -hmm. to like talk about it. I just needed to step away. I needed for the conversations to happen because workplace gossip is always, it's a thing. (laughs) And so I knew that word would get around Mm -hmm. and you know what it, that was effective. When I came back, everybody knew, Awesome. everybody knew. And I was able to just slide right back in and say, you know, use he, him, mm-hmm. and nobody batted an eye. Good so, for you for yeah. for figuring out what you needed in that and making it doable for yourself. Yeah. Well, it's, it was, yeah, it was a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it was really, it felt really amazing to, in taking on a new position where nobody knew me, and I could just, like, slide right in there as well. Right. And when people were like, Talk oh, do yourself. you have kids? Yes, in fact, I do. Thanks for asking. (laughs) I have a 13-year-old son, you know? And and then nobody questioned that. Nobody was like, oh, I thought you had a daughter. Don't you have a daughter? Like, there was none of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember looking at your Instagram over the years, too, and being like, do they have two kids? Like, what's what's going on? I thought they had a daughter, but maybe it's a son. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And so social media is one mm-hmm. place where I I choose not to overtly out Memphis. Mm-hmm. I think I've chipped away at it slowly, slowly, slowly. I avoid using pronouns in my Instagram captions. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're paying attention, yeah. you'll see a, a change and a transition in mm-hmm. in who Memphis is. Um, but I there was you know there was a time I posted a first day of school picture of Memph and a few of my good friends had commented like, oh, he looks great. Oh, tell Memphis I hope he has a great first day of school. Like just those generic sort of mm-hmm. responses. And and there was a lot of weird backlash mm. in my personal messages mm. that came from that. Or like correcting. Somebody went toe-to-toe with... On your, on your on comments. My, in my comments with one of my friends wow. arguing the gender of my child. And right. so... Yeah, it's it's just an ever evolving. Yeah, it's messy. That that step of of moving away and having your friends kind of have some of those conversations reminds me of what's going on with Black Lives Matter right now. Mm -hmm. Like, don't ask the black people in your life what you can do to help them, or Mm -hmm. like, what is it like for you? Like, don't stop interviewing them about that. Mm -hmm. Just go and read some of these books that other people yes. have written and then go and be yes. an ally. Yeah, it takes some work yeah. on our parts, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But why should we have the easy... Why should we have the easy road? Read a book. <laughs> right. <laughs> so not that hard. <laughs> Figure some things out. But 
Hmm. Yeah. So it is. It's an it's an ever changing landscape of you know how much do I want to out Memphis in what circumstances um, because you know and like right now he's just started high school it's his first year and so this is the first time where he got to go to school and he's not Memphis the trans kid mm. he's just Memphis wow. he's Memphis he him nobody's questioning it and I think I mean I know that there's a degree of anxiety that he feels around that because I think he knows that there will come a time right. where he is likely to be outed and then how does he navigate mm-hmm. that but I think right now he's just enjoying passing mm-hmm. that's been such a a high target for him mm-hmm. is just to pass yeah to mm-hmm. identify as male and then be accepted as male right. and he's being accepted as male right mm-hmm. now and so I'm happy for him. So I, I want to be careful, you know, how much I out him. Right. And, and then here I am doing a podcast. <laughs> yes, so <laughs> hopefully Memphis's <laughs> friends at school are not listening to this podcast right now. I think we're safe. I think we're probably safe. <laughs> I think high school students lump <laughs> podcasts with Facebook. It's, right. it's for old So ladies. for old people. <laughs> Shoot, I'm not going to be targeting that demographic. (laughs) Does Memphis know that you're here doing this? Yes, he does. He does know it. My husband and I, we really, we love our son. And and I hope that it is evident to him that the things that we are, the things that we do, you know, like including coming on this podcast, are to advocate for change Mm -hmm. to make the world a more open and accessible place for his community. This episode of the Coming Out Chronicles was brought to you by Centered Life Coaching. We help you know yourself, to free yourself, and be yourself so you can live the fullest expression of who you really are. Stay tuned. There's more to come in this episode. But I get that that dichotomy of like you're working so hard to be passing, yeah, and then all of a sudden, yeah, there's always got to be that like underlying. But is someone gonna know this about me? Like in some ways, there yeah. might be a freedom of just being known as the trans person, but then, yeah, like there's this is probably yeah. a back and forth. Yeah, and I think he was. I don't want to say that his elementary school years passed without like some level of bullying, but it came from sources that weren't meaningful. They, it came from sources, like kids that he wasn't friends with at all. Right. From other classrooms even, who yeah. just heard that he was a trans kid and they're just like... Poke at him. Mean-hearted yeah. enough yeah. to just bully the low-hanging fruit, right? Um, but he, I mean, he has a great circle of friends. He's been well accepted. His, mm-hmm. his classmates were... I think terrific and he didn't experience a lot of um, like school trauma related to his gender identity and so but I think there's a little bit of uncertainty in going from the elementary school that's only Mm -hmm. 400 kids to going to the high school that's 2,500 kids Mm -hmm. and but and also knowing that there's you know three whole grades of kids that have come from his previous elementary school into his high school mm-hmm. that know his identity and that right. could at any given right. moment 
without him. Right. Right? It's yeah. not like it's just his his secret and he's mm-hmm. alone in a brand new high school. It's it's actually a well-known fact for anybody who attended his previous right. school. And so he I mean he did well as Memphis the trans kid in elementary, but I think he just wanted to like put that bag down mm-hmm. for a minute and not have to be, right. you know. <laughs> Um, he made an interesting comment to me the other day. He just said, even, even when people aren't being mean because I'm trans, he's like, I feel like people feel sorry for me right. because I'm trans. You're nice because you're trans. Yeah, even <laughs> when people are allies, mm-hmm. it's like they... There's this, like, sympathy. Mm-hmm. That like I'm, pity? Yeah, that yeah. I'm trans and that I'm... He's like, I, I'm tired of being called marginalized Mm -hmm. and so I mean the conversation spouted out of me kind of giving him grief about his how much his screen time Mm -hmm. I want to see you spending less time on screens and then him saying like mom that's where I get a lot of community like yes I have friends I have lots of good friends but Mm -hmm. none of them are really queer and Mm -hmm. they don't they don't get it and when I go online and I'm part of queer communities, he's like, like, there's whole queer artist communities that I get to just be part of where we're just artists. Like, and we're queer artists, but we don't feel sorry for each other because we're queer artists, right? right? Like, mm-hmm. we just get to be yeah. ourselves. And so he's like, I love my friends and I love my, like, actual friendships, but there's always that that always that underlying mm-hmm. like yeah are you okay are you being treated well am I treating you well enough mm-hmm. am I you know being inclusive enough and so there's just so many aspects like that that you just even when you think that you're even when you think you're an ally or even when you think that you care deeply about a community when you're not part of it mm-hmm. really truly you don't really know right. what they face in the day-to-day and so thankfully Memphis is quite open and mm-hmm. s- still wants to talk to his mother so yeah. <laughs> I do get some of that insight mm-hmm. that's really valuable but. yeah I love like in episode two I interviewed James who's a, a trans man that's like killing it he's yeah. so cool he's ripped like he's doing so much great advocacy in the trend trans and queer community and so I love being able to like share that hope with young kids of like yeah you don't have to feel marginalized your whole life you can just like step into your power and do the thing that you're amazing at and so my hope is with this podcast is like sharing more stories like this and also sharing more stories of moms because like I had a woman in my retreat that her kid had come out as queer and it's like yeah like if you're to be able to enter into a room of queer folks who are doing a retreat and learn from from them firsthand is mm-hmm. like such insider knowledge mm-hmm. and like I, I mentioned I think another time about how I was nervous about her coming into the retreat because I was mm-hmm. like, I don't think she's queer. I, mm-hmm. I, is she going to feel right. kind of like an outsider? Because most of the people right. I work with are queer folks. And then to understand, like, oh, she 
she's it's a great that she's here because she mm-hmm. gets to understand what it's like for all these queer people growing up mm-hmm. and how then she can make a supportive environment for her kid. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're doing that and you're are you finding resources for yourself to help you know how to navigate this or what has that been like? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I guess I, I have, I don't, my brother-in-law Dallas, he gave me a book right away. He had like ordered it as soon as him and Memphis had the conversation, he ordered multiple copies um, of a book called Transforming. And it's a, a book that deals specifically with being Christian and being trans mm. and identifying some of those those gaps in the church and um, and navigating some of those. And I read that book cover to cover right away and it was it was very helpful. Just you know, it's written by a trans man and just his experience with coming out, you know, while he was in Bible school and then mm. transitioning and and but sticking with the church you know, in spite of its flaws. And so that book was very helpful. Um, also just, you know, being a nurse, I care a lot about like standards of practice. What are the, what are the best practice guidelines Mm -hmm. for, um, transgender youth or gender non-conforming youth even? Anyway, so I, I printed those off and I, you know, I've read those and There's been a number of spaces where I guess I just feel that God has had his hand in our journey, if I can share that. Um, because I, I think that there would be a lot of a lot of faith communities that would frown on me being so supportive of my child or would mm-hmm. frown on me supporting my child through transition. Um, but at the, you know, at the time, just when everything felt so upside down and I didn't, I'm a very, like, I'm a very directional person. Like I like to, I like to be organized. I'm very type A. I like to have my ducks in a row. And when Memphis came out, I just felt like everything was like shaken up and dumped out. And then I didn't really know how to reorder things. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I thought, okay, like I need to get Memphis. I need to find a physician who's going to be sensitive to this I need to what's the best what do I do like it was like the whole the next like 15 years I felt like I needed to have a plan you know (laughs) and I I just felt very disordered and but within you know a day or two my sister she's like you know like I work with this woman and she just like she's very involved in like advocating for trans care and she just sent me this email of this workshop that you are pride is putting on this you know next week and it's for healthcare providers working with trans patients Mm. and maybe that would be helpful. So I like, I attended that. And at that session, I was able to connect with a mom whose own son is, you know, probably close to 10 years older than Memphis, but similar journey also, also like from a faith community and navigating, um, her former daughter, you know, coming out and navigating transition with him. And she's just been, become such a dear friend and put right in my path right when I needed her. Mm. Um, and, and then when I said I needed to find a physician that would be, you know, affirming, there's one physician in Regina who's quite notable and, you know, she's 
she, her whole passion is trans care. And so right away I was like, I need to get Memphis in to see Dr. Clark. I need to, but she works in a clinic that is like Fort Knox. And like, <laughs> if, if they are not accepting new patients, they are not accepting you or there's no sweet talking. There is, there's <laughs> no way. So of course, of course, Dr. Clark isn't accepting new patients. And I'm, I'm feeling like, what do I do? Like I knew, I knew our physician was also like evangelical Christian. And I was just like, there is no way, there's no way this is going to fly. But I just thought, I need to try so I you know I called the doctor's office and in of course no Dr. Bauer isn't seeing any patients or doesn't have any appointments for like two weeks but there's a locum in the office would you like Memphis to see the locum and of course then I burst into tears well it's like not really something that I feel like a loc I want a locum to handle like I right. this needs to be standing care and then I said you know and to be honest with you I don't even know if Dr. Bauer is even going to want to help us and I shared like my son just came out and wants to transition and I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know what steps to take. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she's like, you know what, just hold. And she comes back a minute later and she's like, you know, I just popped into Dr. Brower's office and I talked to her and she'd be happy to see Memphis. She's moved some things around in her schedule. She'd be happy to see Memphis. Like mm-hmm. does Tuesday work, you know? And, and she was like, and I was like, is this going to be okay? Like, how, is this, it, it is she going to help us? And she's just like, Dr. Bauer works with a number of trans patients Mm. and she's very passionate about it. Oh, that's amazing. You know? And so it just was like between meeting this new girl, you know, between making a connection with another mom Mm -hmm. and a physician who I didn't expect to be supportive, who became very supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, you know, you are pride is like the kind of queer group at our local you know, U of R and they have good resources um, yeah I've I feel like I've done a lot of just reading mm-hmm. reading has been a great resource yeah. for me and then just finding community mm-hmm. and supports but. you mentioned that there's like certain medical protocols for children with mm-hmm. this can you educate us a little bit yeah. on that so I'm to be very honest with you, I'm not sure if those differ provincially mm-hmm. or if they're more national standards. There is, you know, the Sherbrooke Center in Toronto has a stand, you know, standards and practices. Is that where a lot of people a, go? That would be considered kind of like the the gold standard okay. of of standards of care um, for navigating, but. Formerly, it was 16. They wouldn't want to start any hormone, like cross-hormone replacement until a youth was 16. And, I mean, there's concerns around bone growth and development and early onset osteoporosis and those sorts of things. And so that's why they, they were making kids wait until they were 16. But then, fortunately for us, I think they were starting to unfortunately for the community in general, but they had, they had really started to see that the psychological effects on kids of making them wait until 16 to start on hormone replacement was too great. Mm -hmm. And there was more psychological harm that was being done by forcing kids to live, you know, to live in a body that didn't feel like their own and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So that they actually bumped the age down to 14 and like I said I think that that might be different and practitioner to practitioner depending Mm -hmm. on how up they are on standards or maybe what you know Mm -hmm. 
there might be some old school practitioners out there, but fortunately our practitioner was like, you know, I know the guidelines have just changed. Mm. So when we saw, when we saw her, Memphis 12 turning 13 right away. And so Memphis really only had to wait a year until he was able to start on testosterone. Mm. And that was a big day. Yeah. (laughs) Getting to start that therapy Mm. and, and starting to see changes that were, that make him feel more in line with how he identifies. So, Mm. yeah, I know a big, I guess, just speaking back to like best practices, Memphis had also been doing a lot of research and had expected that he would be able to get top surgery. He really wants to have top surgery done. Um, And the the guidelines are that you need to be on hormone therapy and living in your expressed uh, gender identity for a minimum of two years before they'll do top surgery. But so he was expecting that he'd be able to have surgery at 16. Right. But, you know, just in seeking medical opinion on that and looking actually at what best practices are, they don't generally recommend surgery until after 21, just because that's when you're really done growing mm-hmm. and you're, you're likely to have the best results with your surgery right. if you have it earlier than things can change and you can end up with kind of messy mm-hmm. results that you're unhappy with and requiring revisions and, mm-hmm. and so forth. So they, they encourage waiting for surgery until 21, which I know for Memphis is a, it's a hard wait. And then, so for me as a mom, it's a hard wait, but mm-hmm. finding that balance between what do you want and what, how do we navigate it and get you where you want to be, mm-hmm. but safely and where you'll be happier long term, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I heard someone recently sharing their story about transitioning female to male mm-hmm. and then recently detransitioning. Okay. And I'd never really heard of that before. Right. But I feel like that might be a thing more and more coming up. Um, Do you ever worry that Memph will, you know, go back on this or regret going forward like this? Um, I I worry only insofar as a lot of the resistance that we've received from some family or friends is, is just that. Oh, well, I heard this story Mm -hmm. of this person and they regretted it, (laughs) you know, and, and I, I think that those, those stories do certainly exist, but I think to use those stories as the bar by which we set a standard of care for the majority of trans people who aren't going to experience that, Mm. um, is unfair. And so I don't let that worry me. I think, you know, if that is Memphis story, if, if he had, you know, if, First of all, testosterone, you can stop at any time. That's not, that doesn't have to be permanent transition. Um, even if we go so far as Memphis having surgery, if he regrets that at some point... There's another plastic surgery. There's just another plastic <laughs> surgery. And we don't bat a lot of eyes at plastic surgery when it's for vanity purposes mm-hmm. um, or for other medical purposes like breast reductions to reduce back pain. Mm-hmm. So when it's a mastectomy to decrease psychological pain I I don't see it as being any different and if that is what 
my son or any other trans child needs to help them to get them through a patch Mm -hmm. to me I think please just do it Mm -hmm. please just do it um one statistic that really stuck out to me was in a I can't even remember what the source I think it was the World Health Organization guidelines um I believe I don't want to misquote it but they said over 80% of children will often identify as the opposite gender at some point in their life, whether it's for a few days, for a few weeks, for a few months, even a few years. Mm. That's actually very normal, that gender fluidity, gender expression. Mm. Um, and, And you don't have to necessarily determine that all of those kids are transgender. Mm. Um, Because by the time they turn 12, like over 90% of those children will identify as their birth gender. Born female, they'll identify as female, usually Mm -hmm. by the time puberty hits. Mm -hmm. If by the time puberty hits, if they still don't identify as their born gender, there is almost no documented cases of ever going back. Mm -hmm. So that's where I find like Memphis is 14 and still identifies as male. He's through the stages, all the stages of puberty already. So still identifies as male. It's, I, this isn't a phase. Yeah. You know, I don't believe it's a phase. And I think I have certainly become a lot more comfortable with that idea of gender identity as being a more fluid concept. Mm -hmm. And, and I know Memphis as well, you know, speaks often about identifying as male and feeling very like out of sorts in a female body but actually feeling very in touch with the more female personality characteristics Mm. or like that we as society attribute as more female those are the ones that he feels most attached to Mm. so I know that that he as well feels just somewhere on that spectrum of identity but the gender dysphoria that comes along with a female body and a male identity is harmful at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that trans folks are leading us to the way of the future to heal our world. Like, I think that mm-hmm. in order to create peace in our world, each of us needs to learn how to fully embody the, the healthy feminine and the healthy masculine yes. within our own bodies. Yes. And so to have Memphis being like, I'm leaning into looking more male, and I really love these feminine characteristics of mm-hmm. my personality. Mm-hmm. Like to bring those all out in one person is like, yes, like lead us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I wonder <laughs> if that. Like, as you've seen that in Memphis's life, has that shifted your idea of God's gender? Yes. Have you looked at that at all? Yeah, I guess I have. I I don't know. It's, it's so funny when you're just so, like, classically brought up using male pronouns mm-hmm. to identify God. And yet also not really seeing God as having gender at all 
And I don't find that concept. And then it just becomes like habitual to refer to God still as male. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I Um, noticed you saying that earlier and I was like, I wonder. Yeah. And it it isn't that I I have this like great attachment to this idea of, you know, I know we we talk about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, Mm -hmm. God the whole, and you know, um, no, I don't, I don't really attach a gender to God because I think less and less I would attach a gender to humanity. So (laughs) I feel like talking about God is a really good way to start practicing they, them pronouns. Yes. Because you can like, they is this Trinity. If you want to believe in the Trinity and they are out there, they're never really quite sitting with us. So it's easy to talk about they. And so then if you can do that, you can do that with a, person too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just a fun yeah. fun thing to think about. Yeah. Um I have one more like curiosity question. Yeah, of you course. can feel free to say no. Yeah, of course. Um how is Memphis navigating bathrooms now at the high school? You know what, that's a good question actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, and I don't, I actually don't don't know know the answer to that. Um, Memphis comes home for lunch every day. And I, if I'm going to make an assumption, I am going to assume that Memphis isn't using the bathrooms at school. Mm -hmm. I know that Memphis did his best not to use the bathrooms in the elementary school Mm -hmm. as well. And even though this, I mean, the school was great and they said that Memphis had the freedom to use whatever bathroom he wanted, including using the staff bathroom if he just wanted like a private Mm -hmm. gender neutral bathroom. Um, I know that he tried to stay away from Mm -hmm. because bathrooms are actually very, very complicated. Yeah. They're complicated for trans people and they are complicated for mothers of trans children. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, as Memphis is a little bit... Like, Memphis is, like, almost 5'8". Like, he's no longer a little kid. But at 12, you know, when he was, like, sub 5 feet, and there, you know, there he goes into the men's bathroom. And I don't know why I have so much unease Uh about men's bathrooms. Yeah. And we did a road trip across the southern United States, and that involved a lot of, like public restroom usage and Robert just always went with him I just I had so much unease about Memphis going into a men's bathroom by himself Mm -hmm. at that point and and at times if like early on if if Robert wasn't there Memphis would say like can I come in the women's bathroom with you and of course you know and there was like one one instance and you know what Memphis had really just come out in like a week or two prior so like nothing had changed haircut hadn't changed clothing had choice mm-hmm. hadn't changed you know like Memphis was still the same Memphis who two weeks prior was still <laughs> identifying as female and we walked into a bathroom at the movie theater together side by side like literally shoulder to shoulder and a woman washing her hands at the sink said to Memphis excuse me you're in the wrong bathroom when I his mother am like obviously <laughs> Right next to Right him. there. Right? And, you know, I just said in that instance, I'm like, no, it's the right bathroom. And mm-hmm. it's none of your business. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So. It's, it's no wonder 
the trans population has such a high instance of urinary tract infections, right? Yes. Like having to hold it for so long. Yeah, yeah. And you start... <laughs> I hold so much value in places that have gender-neutral bathrooms. Mm-hmm. What an easy thing to do. <laughs> what a totally easy thing to do to make a population feel so much safer, so much more comfortable. Yeah. And... I don't know. I don't understand how making one population feel safer has to translate into the rest of us <laughs> wanting to claim that we feel less safe. Right, or taking away the rights of someone oh, else. I don't or... understand it, but... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you for being so candid with us and really sharing your heart of what this has been like. You're welcome. It's been, it's nice to share it. Yeah. Especially, yeah, I don't, somehow I know that this story will get out to a broad audience, but to sit here just face to face with you, an old friend, it it feels like a space that I am comfortable to share because... I think more people need to know, like, like I said earlier, like it's important for other moms, other parents who are navigating parenting a queer child, but it's, I just think it's important that every parent knows that, you know, there's another journey out there and it's just a different journey mm-hmm. and that we understand each other better. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the Coming Out Chronicles. If you enjoyed it and you think it would be helpful for someone else, please share it with them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on social. I'd love to support you in the next chapter of your coming out story. I can help you know yourself, free yourself, and be yourself. Until next time, this is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching.